0: The Daily 202's Big Idea is supported by Battelle. For 90 years, the employees of Battelle have solved the world's most challenging problems, finding solutions and really big ideas. At Battelle, it can be done. Learn more at patelorg slash 90. Good morning, I'm James Holman from the Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, September 9th. In today's news, Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren, longtime frenemies, will finally meet in a debate. Congress returns from its summer recess with lots on its plate and less time than you might think. And hurricane survivors in the Bahamas flee to the cities. But first, the big idea. Plans for U.S. troop withdrawals from Afghanistan, in keeping with President Trump's pledge to end the war there, have been thrown into confusion following Trump's decision to call off a secret meeting he planned at Camp David with Afghan and Taliban leaders to try to secure a peace deal. Competing versions of what led to the cancellation of the meeting and at least temporarily any further U.S. Taliban negotiations have exposed internal administration tensions that flared up in recent weeks as a deal seemed near. Those tensions have pitted Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Trump National Security Advisor John Bolton, who opposed the talks against each other. Pompeo's chief negotiator, Zalmay Khalilzad, said a week ago that an agreement in principle had been reached after 10 months of talks with the militants. Trump was the main person pushing for the Camp David meeting, according to a senior administration official who talked to my colleague Karen DeYoung. Comparing the initiative to Trump's personal meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and his stated desire to meet with Iranian President Hassan Rouhani, this official said that Trump thinks his personal style can persuade anyone and that he's seen the possibility of a substantial afghan withdrawal as a major plus for his re-election campaign. US officials said the decision to cancel the Camp David meeting, which had been in the planning stages for more than a week, was made on Thursday. The senior administration official said that Trump decided to tweet about its existence and its cancellation on Saturday night to quote control the narrative. While many of the administration have questioned the Taliban talks, Pompeo and Bolton have been at loggerheads over this issue and others, with Bolton, a well-known hawk, charging that Pompeo is trying to box him out of decision-making on Afghanistan. Bolton hasn't opposed reducing the current U.S. troop level to 8,600, which is what Pompeo wants, but he rejects any deal with the Taliban. His view is that the president can meet his campaign promise of withdrawing without any deal. There's little disagreement inside the administration and in Afghanistan that the events of this weekend will probably lead to increased violence on the ground in Afghanistan. Pompeo denied extensive reports that the Taliban had made significant battlefield gains in recent months, and he said on the Sunday shows that the president will make the Taliban pay for recent suicide bombings. But then the Taliban said in an emailed statement to reporters on Sunday that Trump's decision to end the peace process for now will, quote, lead to more losses for the United States. Representing the Trump administration on all five of the major Sunday talk shows, Pompeo defended Trump's decision to invite the Taliban for talks at Camp David, noting that other odious figures have been there in the past. Still, Trump faced criticism from hawks like Liz Cheney, the Wyoming congresswoman and the daughter of the former vice president. Pompeo said he hopes that there won't be a delay in plans that have already been agreed to internally for an initial drawdown of at least 5,000 U.S. troops, along with a full withdrawal tentatively planned to take place by the end of 2020. But he added on Meet the Press that any reduction in our forces will be based on actual conditions. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start what's going to be another very newsworthy week. Number one, Vice President Joe Biden came to the Capitol in late 2016 to preside over the Senate's passage of a cancer-fighting measure named after his late son, the Beau Biden Memorial Moonshot. In a day of bipartisan bromides, Senator Elizabeth Warren, the Massachusetts Democrat, was among those praising Biden. But in a private meeting with Senate Democratic leaders, Warren had slammed the Biden bill that included the moonshot, saying that its relaxed rules on drug companies made Democrats appear cozy with big business a big reason she believed that Trump had just won the White House. In a blistering floor speech, she said the bill's compromises with pharma amounted to extortion. She was one of only five senators to oppose it. Now, Biden and Warren, two of the leading presidential hopefuls, are set to meet on Thursday night for the first time on the debate stage. It's a setting that will highlight their wildly different styles and messages, even if the two don't go after one another. Those contrasting impulses were captured in that disagreement three years ago, where Warren saw Democrats cravenly caving to corporations. Biden saw a necessary compromise on a critical issue and praised Republicans heartily for their support. But that's just one episode in a long and complicated history between these two that has showcased a fundamental difference. Biden believes in the system. Warren believes it needs radical change. The divergence began long before they ever met. As a young senator in the early 1970s, Biden fought against mandated busing as a path to school integration, arguing for less coercive methods. Warren, as a law student during the same period, wrote her first law review article ever about why the Supreme Court was wrong to restrict mandatory busing. But their hardest-fought confrontations came during the late 1990s and early 2000s, when credit card companies were fighting to make it harder for Americans to declare bankruptcy, complaining that free-spending consumers were irresponsibly using the process to protect themselves. Biden, whose home state of Delaware was the headquarters of many financial services firms, championed the cause of the credit card companies. These firms were among Biden's top campaign contributors. He even earned the nickname the senator from MBNA, one of his constituents. Warren, then a professor, blasted Biden by name repeatedly in this era, from the New York Times to a paper for the Harvard Women's Law Review in 2002. She said that Biden's presidential ambitions at the time meant that women's groups should oppose him because the bill would disproportionately hurt women. In her 2003 book, The Two-Income Trap, Warren said Biden is a sellout when it comes to women. Number two, Congress convenes Monday night with a hefty legislative to-do list, facing limited time and potential partisan landmines, including a possible push by House Democrats to try impeaching the president. First up, though, is a bill to fund the government, as the current legislation keeping the government open runs out on September 30th. With just over three weeks to strike a deal, House leaders are already eyeing a short-term measure to buy themselves a few more weeks to negotiate. Tighter gun restrictions, a trade pact for Mexico and Canada, and efforts to lower prescription drug prices are also on the agenda. In some ways, the next few months represent the 116th Congress's last chance to pass any major legislation until after the presidential election. Lawmakers in both parties agree that partisan politics will kick into high gear as soon as January, making deal making and compromise more difficult. The House only has 13 legislative days in September before they leave for another two-week recess, and only 45 legislative days left this year. Senators, meanwhile, are expected to be in town for just 53 days. The House Judiciary Committee is expected to vote this week on a resolution giving itself additional tools in its investigation of Trump. The move is cast by the panel as the first formal step to possible impeachment. The Democratic base and the 2020 presidential candidates favor an impeachment inquiry, but House Speaker Nancy Pelosi continues to be reluctant, pointing to the lack of widespread public support. The clamor for impeachment passed a major milestone over the recess, though, with a majority of House Democrats, 134 to be exact, now supporting an inquiry. But so far, only two of the 31 Democrats in districts that Trump carried in 2016 have joined that call, and those members are the people that Pelosi is concerned with protecting in 2020. Number three, the U.S. humanitarian response on islands devastated by Hurricane Dorian has shifted into a new phase as desperate survivors flee the worst-hit areas of the Bahamas for towns and cities that were largely spared. Although some remain behind, many residents of the storm-battered Abaco Islands have left for Nassau, Freeport, and other areas where more assistance is available. Shelters are overflowing, and local officials have reported a surge in looting. Tens of thousands of people are believed to be homeless and needing help. The administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development, Mark Green, took an aerial tour Sunday of the disaster zone, flying in a U.S. Navy Sea Stallion over flattened forests and communities that have been reduced to rubble. He said in some places it's like nothing happened, and in other places it's like they were hit by a nuclear bomb. The death toll remained at 44 on Sunday, but the government warns that the number will be significantly higher when the extent of the damage becomes clearer. The US has provided two point eight million in aid for the Bahamas, about a third for food and the rest for shelter, hygiene kits, and some other commodities. So far, 47 metric tons of supplies donated by the U.S. have arrived in the Bahamas, about the equivalent in size of two shipping containers. That's not very much. Officials said it's enough to help 44,000 people, though. Much more will be needed. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, September 9th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.